Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and we have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about open source projects that we are thankful for having. Let's get on to episode number 40. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. And with me today is the ice maiden of photography excellence, Wendy, and the Captain Cold of gaming enablement, Matt. How are you two? I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's snowing out. That's all I can think of right now. Well, so I've noticed as far as the introduction. I'm doing good. I don't know. about How about you, Wendy? I seem to be doing pretty dang good, I think. It depends on the moment and how much I... I'm thinking about needs to be done currently. I guess that's my biggest catch on things. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I understand. <laughs> the end of your crunch, perhaps. It's more like our first competition is coming up in Lego League, and that has me in sheer panic mode. Oh, boy. So even though we started meeting, what, like mid-August, on Thursday last week was the first code the kids have written in order to move their robot forward. And we have competition, regional competition in two weeks, two weeks. And so it's trying to figure out when we can get together extra time in order for the kids to code a whole lot more. They still have presentations to write, practice, memorize. Like there's literally so much that needs done in preparation for regionals that I'm kind of in panic mode myself. I don't know that the kids themselves are really all that worried about it, but us <laughs> coaches are in panic mode. I think that's pretty typical, really. I think there's more pressure on, on the leadership because if you know the kids fail, it kind of sort of reflects on the leadership, I think is kind of how it feels anyway. Yeah, that's definitely how it feels. And juggling everybody's different schedules, trying to make it work for everybody. How how can we have the most kids here? And if next week, well, actually, when this comes out, it is the week of Thanksgiving. It's a holiday week. Families are traveling to go see other families or having family members over to their house. So that adds kind of another wrench in the whole getting things planned. When can we all get together? And then the building that we use isn't necessarily going to be available at the times that we need it. So where are there places that we can meet to bring kids in? Tomorrow, since we're recording on a Thursday, tomorrow's Friday. It's normally our extra day to meet. It's typically our coding day, our robot working day. And then Thursdays has been them working on their innovation project. So tomorrow for coding robot day, instead of doing our normal two hour session, we're doing a four hour session. And then sometime in there, we need to get an extra meeting in for our little kids, our explorer teams, juggling three teams, getting ready for competition. My brain's a little bit frazzled with we'll line up the stuff that needs to get done. And it's nothing for me like it is for the other mentor where she's got four teams, one of them being an even older group. They competed last weekend. They've got other competitions coming up. So it's just that busy time of year for robotics, super busy time of year for robotics. And I don't know how the weather gets like in the wintertime for you, but at least for me, when it gets cold, it gets harder to get the kids out of the door. 
and motivated to do the things they need to do. I don't know, maybe that's not how things are in, in your part of the world, but my part of the world is just darker. The motivation of getting the kids to do something is just difficult, not to mention my motivation. <laughs> yeah, especially getting them out of the house. So thankfully, many of the kids live close to where we're meeting and that helps. I live quite a ways out. We have another team member that lives fairly close to me. I'm usually picking them up, taking them to those extra meetings that we have on Fridays, the ones we're going to be having coming up the next couple of weeks on other days on top of that. So we're trying to get in as many meetings, as many hours so we can have as much to show for what they've actually done. Because as far as the research they've done and the time that they've put into their innovation project and the time that they put into their pseudo code, they really have been working and they've been working hard. So it's just that last push to show exactly what they've done all of these weeks because it's not like we haven't done anything, but it would be nice for them to have something to present when it comes to regionals. Right. That makes total sense. Now, is there a lot of work that's left to be done as far as getting the actual robots up so they can do the things they need to do? Is there a easy-ish button that, that can help push it along or not Not so much? Not really. There's no easy button. The robot's completely built. Their add-ons, the extensions, the pieces that are actually going to complete the missions, those are all finished and done. And that actually took quite a bit of time this year just because of what the play field is like. So that's why coding got pushed back so far this year. Last year was our first year to team and we basically borrowed a robot design, which if you're taking a different robot design, you have to say where you got it from, which of course in the kids' speech, they did exactly where the robot design came from, but that saved us some time. Right. This year being our second year and really needing very specialized attachments for the way that they were wanting to complete the mission means they built a robot essentially from the ground up. They've had to make tweaks and changes. There's had to make some tweaks and changes to the attachments on the robot. We've tried to figure out, okay, this is actually really, really big when it's all together, especially lengthwise. How do we break this down to store it when we are traveling with the robot? Lots of other stuff going on. So we started coding way earlier. And now that the main work's done... The rest of it should, depending on the robot, go pretty easy. So we're writing our code in Python this year. The kids finished up their pseudocode and then they did their imports. They did their driver motor settings, both the attachment motor settings. And that was about it. Then the following week, oh, I think they finished up some attachment motor settings and then they did some functions so that when they want to move their robot forward or back, there's only one line of code instead of multiple lines of code. This robot itself, before you give it another command, really needs at least half a second to settle. So one of their functions means that they can move the robot forward or back, whichever direction, positive or negative, and then it already has the code line to stop the robot and then to have it wait for half a second. So instead of typing that out multiple times, they've already put the work in in a function to do that. 
They also have functions for left turns and right turns using the gyro of their robot. All the groundwork is laid, and that actually took quite a bit for them to get all of that typed in. The advantage of doing that groundwork is now we only need one line of code to go forward. We only need one line of code to make a turn. And that, I hope, is going to really speed the process along over these last few times that we have together in really making the robot move, getting it to accomplish missions. What's frustrating is when you're trying to accomplish a mission and you just can't get the robot to be consistent, where there's something along the way that's causing it to be off just a little bit and trying to figure out what you need to tweak. I'm really hoping that we're going to be consistent, but with what I've seen so far, that might be an issue. The front attachment for this robot is extremely heavy. And I've noticed that part of it can shift a little bit left and right, and they might have to move this attachment up and to get some consistency in that. We don't really know how much the weight on that front of the robot is going to mess with some of its movements. And until we really get in there tomorrow and are coding it more, we're just not going to know. But I know when they were setting it up to go forward the first time, if that front attachment was tweaked just a little bit to the left, their robot wasn't going straight. It was actually pulling the robot to the left and they weren't accomplishing what should be a very, very simple mission to accomplish. So hmm. making sure that every time they launch the robot, they're doing it exactly the same. They're making sure that that piece is lined up straight exactly the same every time. And if that's not getting done, then it's going to be harder and harder to write the code because there's inconsistencies from the launch. And just teaching kids and having them understand when you're working with robots like that, it's not just robot consistency, it's team consistency. You guys working together to make sure that it's done the same way every single time makes a difference in your robot run, makes a difference in how long it's going to take us to code the robot. Yeah. Any form of inconsistency at any part of any organization or project, I think, does cause a lot of headaches just in general. So I hope we can work any of those inconsistencies out as quickly as possible, really. When we talk next week, I'll be able to give you a rundown of what this four hours was like. I am classic ADHD, so I guarantee I will have some form of coffee with me to help me like <laughs> chill out, relax, and we can just hammer down and get into it. Awesome. I don't edit video, but you edit quite a bit of video, Matt, when it comes to different projects you're working on, including for GameSphere. Have you found a new editor? editor for Linux? Or do you got some tips for us on existing editors you've been using? I've been messing around with Shotcut and Olive more. Olive is interesting just because it's kind of the new kid on the block. A ton of Linux video editors, but I've always been one to use the weird and esoteric stuff. Shock surprise there. Really nobody. <laughs> um, Olive reminds me of early Kane Live functionalities there it just crashes a lot just saying in my case it crashes <laughs> specified <laughs> because lord forbid if i don't specify in my use case it doesn't work out very well i just like how you focused in on early Caden live crashes a lot you didn't focus on maybe like some of the ui issues it had or maybe the lack of features you focus in on when you could even do simple things like cut without it crashing that's kind of a problem that was only the case on lesser distributions than OpenSUSE. <laughs> or any version that game with a seven in it. Okay. Anyway, so I've been using Shotcut. The UI takes a bit getting used to. It has some uh, weird idiosyncrasies that some people might like, some people might not. 
the reason I've actually started to become more of a fan of it is a lot because the way they do filtering is not the way you would in, say, Caden Live. So the way you do filtering is you click on a clip, there's a secondary tab that just says filters, and it applies the filter to that clip without having to right-click, go to the filter, then change all the hubbub around it. So once you actually click on the tab and click on the video file that you want to have that filter added to, it's literally just workflow-wise so much quicker to add filters without having to do the typical way of Caden Live and various other editors where it's like, oh, I got to make sure I apply this to this particular uh, video set of frames when you're editing for every individual one. It's just so much quicker to me. Just simple things like I do not like the way Caden Live goes about trying to do text fields and trying to like add text. I think they overcomplicate it just a bit sometimes, at least what's presented. These guys give you two different ways to present the text field. So you can have kind of a simplified version. You can have it slide in and pop in from one side and go to the other. Or you can just simple fades, but it's literally just a text field. You take it in the preview window, drag it down to wherever you want to move it to. Insert your text, change the font and size and color. That's it. Or then you have the overly complicated one, like what you would get in something like Game Live. Stuff like that makes it so much easier to do video editing than some of the other editors. I actually like the text editing in Caden Live now versus how it used to be. I can do more things with it, but maybe that's what you don't like about it. I don't know. I just need very simplified, like, so when I do like a top five video, I don't need text with a blur, you know, backgrounds and all the other stuff that like all the extra features that you would get with the newer stuff in Caden Live for like, I'm just using the text stuff as an example, but it applies to all the filters. I don't need all of that because literally I just need a text field at the bottom saying what the game is while the gameplay is playing while I do a voiceover. That's all I need. I don't need anything else that is overly complicated. I, I got you. It's pretty simple. And the fact that it's just, that's the kind of the default is what I like about it. You know, there's issues. Um, so like when you add a new media source, there's a button that plus and minus. So minus, okay, it deletes a media source, plus adds. Well, the weird thing is sometimes you have to, when you hit the plus, it actually duplicates media source. So the best way is to actually go in, go to file, go to open, and then import it that way. Because what will end up happening is, say you have a highlighted clip, but you didn't click on the clip. You have four clips and one was the previous one you were using and it was still highlighted, but you went up into the media sources that you were using and dragged down like the fourth clip to go into the timeline. It doesn't drag down the fourth clip. It repeats and uses the third clip because that's the one that's still highlighted. So stuff like that's a little kind of annoying, but at least in Caden Live, it's literally you just drag and drop some of the stuff and it just makes it a little bit easier. So, so there's little idiosyncrasies where it's like, duplication of stuff that you're not intentionally using and that kind of stuff. But for me, I've just enjoyed more of the ease to you do more of the filtering and that kind of stuff for what I need and access to it more than anything else. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if there could ever be like the ultimate video editor for everything that you ever wanted. You know, like you know, some people use Olive or Shotcut or whatever for one particular bit of video editing. Some people use and use Caden Live for another. Then there's there's some fancier ones too that cost money. I can't remember the name of them. <laughs> you mean Lightworks and DaVinci Resolve. DaVinci Resolve. That's the one. That's when I want to try one of these years. Anyway, it'd be kind of cool if you could have just one 
one video editor of them all, but then you'll never be satisfied because someone will come up with a different idea that is better or does something a little bit better, a little, you know, a tweak here. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure that I want the ultimate video editor, actually. I like the idea of having all these competing video editors. I do. I definitely do. Because ironically, one of my favorite video editors before this was CineLargyG, which is definitely overkill for what I need. I've been mostly just kind of experimenting with it and stuff. So I haven't done like any real deep edits with it. Still learning it. I have used the other ones that are available on Linux. I've tried Flowblade. I've I was a similar user for a while. I've used Caden Live, so use Lightworks, uh DaVinci Resolve when it decides to work on certain hardware. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. That was the prior installer. I haven't used it for a while, so I don't know how that works out to now. Definitely give Shotcut a try if you're in for more simplified editing but if you still need some ironically kitty slogan simple by design powerful when needed kind of the same deal yeah that's cool i should try shotcut again at some point but i just feel really comfortable in kaden live at this point i just don't know that i really care to try something else maybe i should i, I don't know gonna be so stuck in your mud kind of guy huh Nate? No, stuck in a muddy rut i think is the term you're looking for <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so while I'm working on tuning all the video stuff that I'm having in my workflow, Nate, it sounds like you're doing something more in the musical end of the sphere. I am. So I've recently, for like the third time, picked up the bass guitar just because I want to noodle on something. And uh, there's a lot of neat bass guitar riffs that you can do. So I got this guitar. I wanted to tune it. And I don't want to use a mobile app. I'm just not a fan of mobile apps for the most part because I have to get my phone, bring it to me, and then use it. Mobile devices are great sometimes, but sometimes you just don't want them. And anyway, so I was looking for a musical tuning application for Linux, and I found one that I really liked called Lingot, which has got that funny backronym thing going for it, which Lingot is not a guitar only tuner, you know, like wine. And it works really well. It's very customizable. You can do a lot of modifications. If you want your frequencies to be slightly different for whatever reason, you can do that. But it'll give you the key, whatever it is, the tone. When tuning it, it'll show you like how far off you are from the note. And it does a really good job of locking into the note. And then you can, you know, make your adjustments or fine tune adjustments and whatever else. It allows you to change like how it captures the audio based on your audio system. If you had a lot of variations in your hardware, that's no problem. The rate at which it does the calculations and also adjust to the noise level. It didn't really have a great like adjust your kids out of the sound. I noticed that one of my kids scream at C sharp. That was kind of cool. And uh, you can set like your minimum tone, your maximum tone as well. You can even shift the frequencies if you really want to do that. I don't know why you would. It has another really cool little feature, which I don't really know why you would want to do this, but it has a strobe disc for tuning. I don't know exactly how that would be helpful, but it was neat to look at. It works well. Uh, I couldn't find the flat pack, a snap, or an app image for it, but I was able to use the OBS package installer to get it to work. So, you know, OPI and then Lingot. I installed it. It's under like the Pro Audio repository and the OpenSUSE build service, or yeah, the OpenSUSE open build service. And uh, it was, you know, right there, ready to go. I'm having a little fun with it. I'm kind of re-engaging music in my life again. Will I ever play for you, Matt? No, I won't. I might serenade you, but I'll, I'll never actually, probably won't play anything for you. So just so you're warned. My ears, thank you. <laughs> I'm actually not too bad. I don't like to perform, you know, for people. It's just for me. I meant the serenading. My ears are, thank you so much for that. For, for serenading you? Yeah, I didn't mean the bass playing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The bass playing would give me a headache. Because you'd be so bad at it. the serenading, I could just tune you out because I would just say, "Hey, look at Gecko," and it's you know open Susa, and you just run off with that. So I'm not too worried about that. Hey, look a screaming <laughs> chameleon. Yep. 
My kids have started playing instruments in the past and not really kept up with it. And one of the issues we've had is the instrument in tune or not. I do enjoy music, but I don't have what I'd say a musical ear. And I'll definitely be diving into this if they decide they want to pick up an instrument again. It's a real handy application for sure. I used to do a lot with music in my younger years, and I'm a little bit like disappointed in myself that I've buried that talent, you could say. I don't want to say have more time, but since I have one less obligation, major obligation in my life, I want to pursue doing a little bit more with music again. So I got the guitar, bass guitar. It's not a really nice one. It's... If you know what I mean. I shouldn't say that, actually. That's probably not appropriate. But it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's been used and abused. That's how I got it because, you know, I like to take the old pieces of garbage and uh, make them work again. It could probably use the quarter-inch connector jack. It'd probably be replaced. It's a little bit flaky. I think maybe that's standard fare on bass guitars. Anyway, I'm really excited that I've been able to play the bass guitar again and kind of getting comfortable with it. I'm having to relearn proper fingerings, as it were, and remember where the actual notes are. To kind of build up that muscle memory, I've been playing Seven Nation Army because it's not too difficult to do. A lot of the uh, the left hand's moving up and down the fret pretty quickly and really just kind of getting the fingers used to pushing down the strings well enough so you don't get that rattle is kind of obnoxious. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one to teams of 1,000 with simple, powerful cloud computing. Get growing with DigitalOcean. Listeners of Linux Out Loud and members of the Tux Digital community can get started for free. In fact, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. Make sure you get started with your $100 free credit at DigitalOcean and their awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. It's about this time of year, you know, in November, when I like to reflect on things that you're thankful for. And I can't help but to think about how there are different projects in the open source world that I'm very thankful for. So Wendy, I know that open source is a regular part of your life. It makes your life function, essentially, or helps your life to function well. What is something out there that you are really thankful for that you're just glad you have available to you that's in the open source ecosystem? Lately, a lot of that actually centers around robotics and coding in general. It's really, really cool to see projects like the Raspberry Pi with so many open source options available to run on it and different ways that you can code these devices directly from the Pi and watching that work. So one that I've actually been using quite a bit recently, I have to look it up, I believe it's called Timothy. You've got to be kidding me. I want to say that it's called the Timothy Python editor, 
but I probably have that wrong and I will leave a link in the show notes of the one I'm exactly talking about. But it is incredibly straightforward. It doesn't have all of the bells and whistles that you'll find on some more advanced editors, but it can run on a Raspberry Pi 3 with one gig of RAM just Ooh. fine. I was trying to use a different editor with the Raspberry Pi 3 that I currently have set up to use with the Sense hat and the Build hat, and it doesn't take long before you eat all of your RAM and nothing will work and your mouse won't move. So it's really nice for some of this. I don't necessarily want to say lower end hardware, but older Raspberry Pis that really don't have a lot of flexibility when it comes to RAM and still being able to actively write code on them and see it run with motors and different sensors that you got going on. Oh, that is cool. It has an extremely nice play button on it. So as far as the user interface goes. It's very nice for someone who's beginning to use Python. It's very nice for somebody who has some experience with Python. And it gives you all the straightforward things that you need to get the job done, even with something not super resource available. Yeah, that's great. I like it when applications are built to run on lesser hardware because it just runs more efficiently on hardware that you know is more capable. So yeah, exactly. Having that flexibility, I think, is just is absolutely fantastic. The Raspberry Pi that we're going to be using for coding the Sense Hat and the Build Hat, I do plan on upgrading to a Pi 4. I've got a line on one. It's, of course, a used one. As we know, getting them brand new is really, really hard to find right now. But I'm pretty sure we'll still be using the exact same Python code editor because just like that, it's easy to use. It'll run more efficiently on that newer hardware that's got more resources available. And it means we'll be able to multitask better. One of the nice things about a Pi with more RAM and this code editor together means it won't take quite as long for the motors to start moving. That's one thing I've noticed with the Raspberry Pi 3 is that's where some of the downsides come in, where it's just not processing it as fast as a newer Raspberry Pi would be. But I'd have to say I'm extremely thankful for this Raspberry Pi editor and all of the stuff education-wise around the Raspberry Pi's coding with Python. The Raspberry Pi organization has done an amazing job when it comes to providing resources for kids. If you haven't checked out projects.raspberrypi.org, you absolutely should. It's great for people of all ages. It's not just Python. They have 3D printing stuff, all kinds of things that you can do with these Raspberry Pis, getting kids involved, teaching them how to use technology in ways to grow themselves and help them progress in maybe things that they'd like to do later in life. Start them now, start them young. So they have those skills that are slowly building on each other over the years. An amazing resource. So I guess there's two of them for you. The Python application and then raspberrypi.org in general. They do an amazing work. They deliver so much to the community, especially in the scope of education. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I really think that open source has been doing a great job of excelling in the STEM field for education. I think it, it makes being able to do these once difficult to acquire bits of hardware and software a lot more accessible for the average person. Yeah, absolutely. If you have instructions that are easy to get to, software that's easy to get to, hardware that is 
priced in ways that it's easy to bring into schools, it's easier for parents, clubs to work with, then you have a base level of STEM that more kids can get involved with. And they're doing a great job with it. Yeah, it's always great to see open source and, you know, Linux and all the other stuff kind of encourage the kids' creativity and whatnot and see what they can do with technology, which also opens up other avenues for creativity for them too. Yeah. Matt, I'm sure you're surprised that I didn't have something photography related for this thankful section of the show. My guess is yours is something game related or am I wrong? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I should be offended by the predictability or or keep the chuckle going for the predictability. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am thankful for, but it is not thankful for what people would think. It's going to sound weird when I say I'm thankful for Valve. I can understand that. While it has something to do with the Steam Deck, Wendy. Ah, you said it. (laughs) Before your eyes gloss over. I'm saying I'm thankful for Valve and the work that they have done to have a better user experience and graphic experience and make things like gaming on Linux, regardless of the distribution and the overall ecosystem, a ton better. Like the amount of work they have done, there's a reason we have a halfway decent KDE system monitor now. And say what you want about Guard, but the newer one's better personally. We have that because of Valve. We have a better graphics stack because of Valve. Right. NVIDIA is not as crappy on Linux as it used to be because of Valve. (laughs) AMD is definitely not as crappy as it used to be on Linux because of Valve. Don't get me wrong. There's still issues with AMD and I still have plenty to say on that subject. I am thankful for all the work that they have contributed to the Linux ecosystem as a whole, despite whatever selfish motivations to kind of chart their own course it may have been for like with the Steam Deck and the store and all the other stuff. Whatever the motivations were are irrelevant to me because overall they understand that if they improve this, it works better for them. And it just happens that all these other people who do some improvements for it might be competition, but it also still helps them. So to me, bucking the trend and understanding that in an industry, especially gaming, where it's very one-sided on its collaboration, it's creator fan kind of deal. You know, you're over there, consume and do. Valve, on the other hand, even from a consumer side, has taken and implemented stuff that people have asked for in the Steam Deck and all the other stuff. But all that stuff's done in that open source nature. So like for me, it's not the Steam Deck I'm thankful for. It's Valve and the work that they have done. And it has been a major contribution to why I can finally say I don't have any other OSs right now besides the ones I'm using, which are all Linux OSs. I can't argue with that at all. All that work that's being done, probably for selfish motivations, you know, making money, which is not a bad thing. I think it's great that we're able to reap the rewards of all their work. To be fair and not to give anything away too much, I guess I could probably add this to my thankful list because of something else that I've gotten to do this week mainly starting yesterday. So I will tell you about that later. But the work that has gone into this means that for the most part, especially with the more recent work, I don't have to wonder as much, hey, if there's this thing that I want, will it run on Linux? Can I get it to work in Steam on Linux? And I won't say by any means that I'm a quote unquote gamer because there's a lot of games that I don't play. I don't say I'm good at. 
And typically, if it doesn't work on Linux, I'm not going to play it in general. And it's mostly because there aren't any games that I care enough about to set up a Windows system for, if that makes sense. It's not that I wouldn't ever run a Windows system. I talk about that I do have one for very specific needs as a school system when we have to do some specific state testing and there's a browser that I can only get with that operating system. So I could set up another Windows system or have a Windows drive on my main system. I just really don't have a need to have one. And with all of the work that Valve has done, there's less of a need for me. I don't have to think as much about the games that I want to play because so far I haven't really had too much of an issue. And as the last couple of years have gone on, that's even more so. Yeah, I will say definitely in the last year or so, maybe less than that, that I've actually been paying attention. But games, I don't have to worry about, are they going to work on Linux? I just go into the Steam client and I see that it's either, can't remember what it's called now, but like for the Steam Deck, it says like a, it's a, either gets a green or a yellow check mark, basically. Verified. Verified or played. Or playable. There we go. Thanks, Matt. I knew you'd help me out there. You're so sweet. Only when it comes to gaming. <laughs> I've downloaded and installed like recently, in fact, it was like yesterday, my oldest convinced me to get this game called Cooking Simulator for Steam. And he's been playing it on the Steam Deck. It was not verified, but just playable and said he might have some issues. I had to like change the Proton version. But outside that, one, it's very funny. I'm glad he's making a mess in a virtual kitchen as opposed to my kitchen. <laughs> but the fact that I didn't have to worry about, is it going to work on the Steam Deck or not? It appears to me that because of the Steam Deck and all the work that Valve has done, it's basically going to work. I mean, I, I haven't had a game that I've installed now, like anything like if I think I want to try this game and it just works and it's a great experience mm -hmm. and I'm really enjoying it. It's, I would say the gaming experience has been so good because of Valve. I don't know I just don't have to think about anything when it comes to a game and will it work. It's really pretty great. You know, if you'd have told me this five years ago that, you know, Valve is going to produce a thing. I'm like, yeah, another thing. All right, great. Uh-huh. Keep talking. But this is really a wonderful project or the work they've done has been wonderful. The Steam Deck because the Steam Deck or, or whatever reason. I totally agree with you, Matt. And this is the only time I'll say I agree with you. Actually, it's not true. I'm definitely going to say I agree <laughs> with you on what you're thankful for because I very much feel the same way. Where's Nate and what have you done with him? I don't know. He's sick. <laughs> sick in the head. You are correct. You think he fell, bumped his head. So while I'm thankful for Valve, I think, Nate, you're probably thankful for Valve because they made Arch palatable for you. Yes, that and other things. What I'm thankful for is how these various open source projects have allowed me to be able to create as I desire. And largely it happens all in OpenSUSE, of course. It powers nearly all of my computers, but different things like the KDE project not only their desktop, which you know I, I do most of my digital work on, or pretty much all at this point, I use Caden Live all the time, and it can be for you know either doing like Linux Saloon or you know a video that I put on YouTube, or it can be for assembling and cutting together things for education for school when I tutor kids or, or teach my own kids. I'm using Caden Live a lot. It works really well. I'm super thankful for just how simple basic things are, or how easy it is to just do basic things in Caden Live. Something else, you know, the FreeCAD project. As much as I do have difficulty with FreeCAD for various reasons. It has allowed me to do a lot of creating little things to make than ultimately 3D print, but to make little things to get other work done more easily. Like I talked about a while ago, I made a, a stackable monitor thing for my laptop for my home office, or I should say my bedroom office, which sits, whatever. It allows me to 
enable more work to be done. So FreeCAD has allowed me to make lots of little things on the 3D printer, very unique to what my personal needs are. And I'm super grateful for that. You know, something else to use a lot of is LibreOffice. And people are like, oh, I just use online office suites. Okay, great. Good for you. I like the ability to be able to create documents as I see fit for me locally because I, you know, I don't always have the most reliable internet. So I like to keep a lot of these things locally. And LibreOffice has allowed me to do a lot of really great things the spreadsheet program, although I don't think it's quite as good as Excel, it's very close. And I can do a lot of things that I need to do for tracking everything from like how many eggs my chickens are laying to when I decide to build another project to keep track of how much filament a particular project is using. So I can, I can actually make calculations based on that, like a, you know, a spreadsheet of all that stuff. You know, when I go to print it out or tracking expenses for you know, like building the CNC, there's been so many things I've had to like get and whatnot. So tracking the time and the, and the money I'm putting into it and so forth. So I'm really grateful that I have LibreOffice. I mean, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that you've paid a pretty penny for an office package. And that's not the case today. Something that would cost hundreds of dollars at one time is now free. I mean, it's not free, free, but I mean, I don't have to put any money out for it. I do donate to the LibreOffice project because I am so grateful for being able to use it. And lastly, this year, I have to say the thing that I've become very grateful for is Flatpak. Flatpak has enabled me to get software so easily you know, that wasn't necessarily maybe wrapped up and packaged well for OpenSUSE, but the fact that I can install so many bits of software out there, so many tools, so many things that I may be able to try just readily and easily has made searching for new software quite pleasurable in Linux or actually in the history of using computers for me, it has made getting new software the easiest of any software distribution. Nothing against the open build service, but the way Flatpak packages it up for you and kicks it out to you is just phenomenal. I think this is the golden years of Linux right now, perhaps because of all these different tools and features and functions that we just have available to us that I didn't have to work on. You've named off some really awesome projects and projects that I use on a pretty regular basis myself. LibreOffice, I find to be one of the best office suites there is out there. To be fair, I haven't actually used Microsoft Office in years. But at the same time, I really don't think that I'm missing out on anything. And it's amazing the work that they're doing all the time on that office suite. It's one of the pages, I guess you could say, that I follow on Mastodon. They're constantly posting updates, talking about their developers. Even if the programs that they put out weren't so fantastic, and I think really have some great features to them. It seems like a project that would be fantastic to contribute to because of the way that they're constantly saying, look at our developers, look at the things that they're doing. We're highlighting this person and all the work that they've done. And they have their own conference that was, I'd say, late summer, I think early fall. Maybe it was close to the time of the OpenSUSE conference, I can't remember, but I do remember seeing things about the conference that they had, stuff that they've made, really, really great project. It might be the conference that actually has OpenSUSE and LibreOffice combined. They have a combined thing that they do, I think once a year, but I have to verify. Might be able to find the details from before. This year's over. We'll definitely make sure <laughs> that you hear about it for next year. Right. Some of the downsides of these conferences is they're happening at times that I can't join live, but it's really interesting to pick up later. And while some conferences are focusing on an entire distribution, this is talking about one software suite 
the development of it and all the amazing things that you can do with this open source project and really get so much done. Yeah, it really is amazing. Sometimes I wish you could just do more for a project. Right. But then there's life. That gets in the way sometimes. Yes. And then there's life. So what are you thankful for in the open source world? What has helped you do more, accomplish more in your life because of the open source software that's readily available for you? Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Lennox Out Loud. Magneto out. Well, Wendy, it looks like you have a new game to play. What is this game, and is it kid-friendly? I do have a new game to play, and I didn't want to give too much away, but I've talked about it a little bit in the past. Not only was I excited for it, but my daughter was excited for it. The brand new Bendy game dropped on the 15th of November, not that long ago. So I'm talking to you or we're recording this on the 17th of November. I didn't get it on the 15th, but I did go ahead and purchase it on the 16th. Why didn't I get it on the 15th? Well, because I had an episode of Linux Out Loud to edit and I knew (laughs) if I bought it and downloaded it, there was no way that I wasn't going to play the game. So I just eliminated the urge by waiting one day in order to get it and I don't think I've ever bought a game like right after it's launched at full price ever. This is probably the first one I've ever purchased. For those of you that haven't played the original Bendy and the Ink Machine, it is a puzzle game. It's an adventure game. You're first person. There is a few boss battles. You do have to hide, run from different entities inside of the game. But the overall scope is a puzzle game set in this old cartoon style. Really a lot of fun. And goodness, that game actually came out quite a while ago. I'd have to look it up to see when the first one dropped. I think you've talked about the first game before. This looks very familiar to me. Yeah, I have talked about the first one when I played it through. I originally found it because my kids had been listening to music that was related to this game, even though they never played it before. It was really close to Halloween and the game was on sale. Plus they had a demo version of it. I played all the way through the demo version, which was part of chapter one. Maybe it was all of chapter one in the game. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. I'm definitely getting this. That one came out February 10th of 2017, and they've been working on Bendy and the Dark Revival. This game has been 
highly anticipated for a long time. So when the first one came out, they were releasing a chapter at a time. And they decided they didn't want to do that with this one. They wanted to launch the game all at once, all together. And I have to say, I am loving it. Like the things that I really enjoyed from the first game, I'm finding in this one. Some people's complaints. You're having to do stuff without the game telling you what you need to do. Yes, it's a puzzle game, so it's not going to give you all the answers. <laughs> there is multiple levels of the game. There's easy, medium, hard. I am currently playing on the easy mode mainly because I am not great when it comes to running away from being attacked. I don't have any weapons yet in order to fight back on some of them, but I'm not great with that. I'm not great with the coordination. The fun part for me is the puzzle side of it, and I do enjoy this first-person style of puzzle game. It has the elements of that. It has some really fun things that were in the first game, stuff that's happened and you're like, oh, yep, they're there. It's funny. Some correlations between the two that's quite good. The puzzles themselves aren't necessarily harder, but they're making it harder for you to complete the puzzle because of different wrenches and stuff that they're throwing into it. So you're having to hide more from elements inside the game instead of just being able to wander around in solving those puzzles. I haven't died yet, but I have to attribute that to it being on easy mode. The fact I've only played it for an hour and a half to two hours total at this point. So I guarantee I will die. And I did watch a little bit of one of my favorite YouTubers playing this game on the day that it launched. Saw some things I really enjoyed. And that's another reason why I went ahead and put the money down on it. As far as games brand new, I wouldn't say it's outrageous. It's a $30 game. The graphics in it are really, really nice. There's some great detail in it. So far, I'm loving it. We'll see how I feel later when I've died a few times and have to call my daughter in to come get me through part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to happen. I guarantee it. <laughs> it has very like an old newspaper sepia tone. Is that the right term, sepia? Sepia, sepia, yeah, their way. Look to it. It's kind of uh, kind of creepy, but I can see the appeal of this for sure. So it is kid-friendly, just older kids. Yeah, older kids. My youngest, who is right around the age of eight, has seen us playing it. It does say it's got blood and violence, but... I haven't seen any actual like red blood in both that game and this one. It's more like ink as blood kind right. of thing. Yeah, just black. Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't say that the violence in it is gratuitous at all, but it is also a horror game. You have some stuff going on and they don't always get you with like the creature jumping out at you. Sometimes it's as simple as you walk through a hallway and something isn't there and you round a corner again, and bam, it's there. Nothing's jumping out of you, but they have a really good way of setting the tone, setting the mood inside the game where you're getting involved with what's going on. Great developer has been a fantastic game before, and if you enjoy environmental puzzles, this is without a doubt one to pick up, though I highly recommend that you go through the first game and then do this one. You get those 
What's the word I'm looking for? I'm assuming callbacks, Easter eggs. Yeah, callbacks, Easter eggs that make this one, the newer one, even more enjoyable for fans of the first game. Definitely looks like a fun game, though not necessarily my style. Like Nate said, I can see the appeal, which is weird because you'd figure this would be up my alley. But I definitely do like the art it's style. It's not anime yeah. enough to be up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> true, 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 true. Well, no, you can't really say that because I did one of the games I recommended is Silence, which is not generically up my alley as far as an art style. Okay, you occasionally recommend other <laughs> games that are not anime, but the overwhelming majority. That part I won't argue with. I can't recall one that hasn't been anime at this point. I can give you a ton. I have an entire list of games that I've put out. It's not what's true. It's just what I'm accusing you of. <laughs> I know, but I have ways I can show the truth. So there oh, lies. I know, the but I don't want that. I don't want that. I, I just want to go with like my misguided perceptions. I want to stick with that. Well, you can keep having your misguided perceptions, just like Open Seuss is a good distro. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> Doing your garbage comments. <laughs> anyway, no, I definitely do like the art style. Uh, I do like the fact that like the violence portion, quote unquote, like blood is, you know, the ink and that kind of stuff. I love it when games tie in the kind of the aesthetic to the theme of the game, which is always fun to see. Definitely looks like a fun game, and 30 bucks really isn't that bad. I hate the term budget title, but that's what most people would consider a budget title. I would consider that not a budget title, but it's not, hey, I just dropped $60 and I have like four hours of gameplay and I feel like I totally got ripped off. <laughs> right, exactly. The new Sonic game that just dropped is right around $60, and that's part of the reason why we haven't picked that one up yet. I have a really hard time paying that much for a game, but I told my daughter that if this one was around the $25 mark when it dropped, we would be getting it brand new instead of waiting for it to go on sale. Let's go from the game I've been playing to the game that you've been playing, Matt. I'm dealing with demons and ink. You've got aliens. Uh, yeah. Alien Isolation, to be exact. So this is a, I would say, a more true-to-form Aliens game than anything that has been put out. The aliens in this game, Alien, I should say, you play Ripley's daughter. So you get to find out what happened between the Nostromo and when they end up finding her in Aliens. They have a lot of cool touches in this game. You know, the tape readers are for the saving and all the other stuff, but it is a creepy game, and the aliens will alien will kill you quite frequently because they have some fantastic AI. This is not a game for kids, definitely. It's like saying the alien movies are for kids. They're not. I definitely enjoy this game. It's atmospheric. The graphics are still good, even though it came out in you know 2014, give or take. I'm not sure if the Linux version is still on Steam, like the native version but there was a native version at one point i don't know if the rights kind of rescinded back to whoever fox or whoever owns it so i can't speak to that it's available on a few different platforms i played it on linux and i have been thoroughly enjoying it well i just want to say i'm impressed that it's not an anime game <laughs> yeah, told, yeah told you you done told me. Told you that some of the games I don't have are uh, not anime specific. Thanks. Nate. So is this a like a story based game then? Like where you have to make like decisions or is this like if you're like an action type game? Because it looks like it could be both. It's a bit of both. Okay. It's a bit of both. So um, the alien portion where you're hiding and trying to stay alive is kind of the stealth sneaky portion of the game. 
There's later portions where you get firearms and the typical, you got to go fix some malfunctioning androids, and I'll put it that way. So if you've seen Alien, the original, you'll know what I mean when I say that. And then you'll run into some human soldiers who have gone completely insane. So you have the typical shoot things, but it is very story focused. Um, the story is kind of told in more of like the environmental way as opposed to like, oh, hey, here's a cutscene because of the first person view. Okay. So it's one of those you have to like these kind of games. So it does have a, a wide mix of stuff. I will say that the one thing about this game is it probably drags on a little longer than it should. As far as like the gameplay loop, I think the game's like 20, I think 25 hours. It's it's a pretty hefty long game. Wow. I would say 2025, 20, somewhere in that neighborhood. That is a long time. You can speed run and do all the other stuff. But if you're like, you're going to enjoy like this kind of atmospheric game, you're going to want to put in a lot of time. And you're going to die a lot because the alien's going to kill you a lot in a lot of creative <laughs> different ways. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so looking at this game on Steam, it says similar to games you've played and it's got Bendy and the Dark Revival, the game that we just talked about on there. Probably similar in the fact that they're both atmospheric horror games. I don't know if this one has puzzles to solve as well, but that's probably where they're linked. Very atmospheric. Uh, some story to go along with it. Survival horror. Yep, very much. Something a little different, Nate. There you guys go. So, you know, just so you It's can... not anime. Oh my goodness. So I don't get the huh. similar to any games that I've played at all, but it is Steam Deck verified. So there we go. That's what's important to Nate. Mm-hmm. I probably won't buy it though. I'm not into these kind of games. I already have disturbing nightmares all the time. I don't need to have more or a new variety. From gameplay. Maybe I could use a different variety of disturbing nightmares as opposed to the ones I currently have. What? Like, <laughs> sorry, I'll cut that out. <laughs> That's a nightmare that doesn't stop. Nate, I have a better one. You actually enjoying Arch. Oh. It's not really a nightmare. It's just not a thing. I don't enjoy Arch. I enjoy SteamOS, which has some Arch <laughs> tools, but it's not Arch. You can spin that however you want. It doesn't pull from the Arch repository. So why would it be uh, Arch? The art is really good in this game, by the way. It is. Yeah, it's, they've done a good job. I mean, it had to been so much time modeling those, 3D modeling those. So while Wendy and I have been talking about things that we can play and pause in video games, Nate, you're... Pausing and resuming on some other things, though. I am. Now, it's not quite as uh, exciting as, let's say, a video game, but it's exciting for me. For my 3D printer, my Ender 3, I've been using Octoprint to manage the printer, which it's really nice because I can watch the printer. I can send files to it. I don't have to mess around with the SD card and so forth. And it's really very convenient for managing the 3D printer. And I have these rather large prints that I'm doing. And a power auto just a little bit ago knocked out one of my prints that was about 12 hours in. But anyway, if I were to pause the print and resume it previously, like for, let's say, changing out filament or something like that, I would have an issue with that. It would like leave a blob of stuff in the middle of the print, and then it would kind of like bounce and so forth. It was just kind of a mess. I did some research out there on the World Wide Web, and I found uh, basically some scripts for when you pause the print and for when you resume the print for acting appropriately for those actions. But I did test it out. I did make sure that everything worked correct. I did determine whether or not my printer... For sure, with the slicer software I use, the Prusa slicer, if it used absolute or relative movements and so forth, I did verify that it was relative movements, not absolute. And so the code is correct for my printer. I didn't have to make any adjustments to it. So I just put the code on cubicleinate.com for how to do that yourself for Octoprint and Ender 3. It works great. I'm very happy with it. I was able to, with one of these larger prints, 
change out the filament the night before because it was going to run out in the middle of the night and didn't have any issues with the final print. So um, it's a little thing, not super exciting. And uh, I'm really glad it works just as expected. This is one of the things that I would love to do with my 3D printer. And one of the reasons why I'm trying to get my hands on additional Raspberry Pis, because there's so much more control with Octopi and the software changes video camera that you can add to it. My current 3D printer has a built-in pause feature that has not worked for me. You're supposed to be able to pause it with the possibility of completely shutting down the machine, which I tried to do once. And when it picked back up, yes, it did quote unquote start printing again, but it didn't start printing at the right place. It wasn't actually <laughs> laying down filament where it was supposed to. What good is a pause feature that doesn't actually pick up where it's supposed to? Now, I have on my 3D printer used the sensor on it where it runs out of filament, put the filament back in. The first time I actually moved the build plate just a little bit, that was my bad. And so the print ended up being off. The second time I did that, I was very, very careful not to tweak the build plate, replace the filament, and it picked right back up where we're supposed to. Layers were nice and even, no issues there. So if I could just get that usability with being able to pause a print, that would be fantastic. So I'm really interested in all of the software and stuff that you got it to work. What Pi are you running this on? It's just a Pi 3. Oh, perfect. Nothing powerful, yeah. It does quite well. It also, the Octoprint have it set so it can do time-lapse videos as well. So like it takes every 25 seconds, I think it's taking another image, and then it mixes it down into a video when it's done. So I can review the video if I feel like it. Are you using a dedicated webcam for that? Or are you using a Pi camera? Dedicated yeah, it's, a, it's one that works for the Raspberry Pi. The one that has a built-in input and everything on the Raspberry Pi. Perfect. The nice thing is when you pause it, it basically picks up, moves out of the way of the print so you can do whatever work you need to do without bumping anything. And then when you resume, it goes right back to where it was. It is quite nice. It's a great feature to have. And I think if you lose power, my setup's not going to recover nicely as it just happened today. Because when the Pi died, it lost power and, you know, game over. And there's really nothing you can do about that unless you have some advanced feature where if there is a power outage, it'll pick back up. And some of that has to do with is that just built into the software? I know that you said you talked about going ahead and putting a UPS on that. So if you do have a power bump again, it's not necessarily going to shut down your print, which might be a good idea. Because you get them quite a bit in your area, don't you? When the weather gets a little bit rough, yeah. So it's snowing and blowing wind. And so there's just a little blip in the power. And the uh, 3D printer was, I kind of suffered the consequences of that. And this time of year, you're going to have a lot more of that. I am. I'm going to have uh, numerous. It'll be, it'll be kind of a regular thing for a while. It'll be nice. Then it'll happen again. That'll be nice. Just the way it right. goes. <laughs> now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, Gamesphere, Linux Loon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcast and shows by visiting the Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. 